If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to uh, Psalm 121. We're going to be reading out of Psalm 121. A lot of Psalms today, Psalm 23, 24, 121. We've only got about, what, 150, uh, 147 more to go. So it's going to be a long day, but we're going to do this. Just kidding. Um, all joking aside, we're going to talk a bit about the new year and new resolutions. And, and, uh, and I wanted to ask the question, what's going to distinguish for you 2023, 2023 from 2022. What's going to be the difference between the two years? Um, maybe you've got some new resolutions that you've made or some goals that you've set out, but, but really, if, if you're honest with yourself, and if you're anything like me, if you're made of clay, then resolutions alone aren't going to cut it. They'll, they'll do great maybe through February, and then, and then old habits and old ways will tend to to creep in. You know, we've got these ruts that we live in, these ruts that we even think through that we begin to slide back into. And so as we do that, we find ourselves doing and living the same year that we lived last year. And so what is going to make a change for this year that will distinguish it from last year? I believe that God's word uh, has truth that is going to change how you relate to 2023. I believe that, that God's word, as we take it and receive what he has to say to us, as we think about it and relate to life in the way that God would have us, that it will change not only the things we do, but the way we think. And as you think, so you live. So open up your Bibles again to Psalm 121, and we're going to stand, and we're going to read God's word together on this first day of the new year. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a new day, for a new year and new mercies. Thank you for your faithful love shown through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of love and power and self-control given to us by your Holy Spirit. God, we offer this new year to you as a sacrifice of praise. Lord, we trust you in this new year, not leaning on our own understanding, but acknowledging you in all of our ways, believing by faith that you're going to make our path straight. God, I pray that by your word and by your spirit, you would draw us up to, to think on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And that as we change our perspective, that, that you would transform our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be renewed in our minds. And that in so doing, we would be transformed. God, I pray that you would pour out your love on us today. That you would open our eyes to see what a, a, a strong and mighty and caring God you are to us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would... You would brush aside the distractions and help us to see clearly 
your keeping love. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. You know, it's funny, I, I was looking and, and as I was planning, I, I asked myself, have I ever preached on this? And it actually turns out I preached on this on the 26th of last year, but I, I was looking through the, the, the sermon and I think it was a recording. So I think most of you, maybe, maybe many of you will not have seen it. So <laughs> this will be new for you and it's, it's uh, we, I've looked over it again, so it's not a regurgitation, but... I still felt like it was a beneficial text for us to look at at the beginning of the year because, again, there's so many uh, pressures around us to figure out how are we going to make the most of the new year. And, and maybe not all of us, but I think many of us relate to the new year as, a, as an opportunity, as a way of, of turning over a new leaf, starting over. And, and we can begin to say, okay, I need to do these four things, I need to build these habits, I need to have these routines in place, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no to these things, I'm going to say yes to these things, but our lives really, they, they boil down to behaviors where God invites us to change not our behaviors, but transform us through truth. And so in this text, there are, there are four transformative truths that the psalmist wants us to take hold of. First, the Lord, he's our creator and he's our help. The Lord is our creator and he's our help. The second one is that the Lord, he is our keeper and he guards us day and night. Third, the Lord is our keeper and he guards us all the time, always. And then finally, the Lord is our keeper and he will guard us forever. And I believe that if we take hold of these truths, that God will do amazing things. If we can believe and trust that God is keeping us, that he is helping us, that he's protecting us this year, then we won't need to, to try and uh, to bring that, that security to our own lives, but we will live bold lives knowing that we are secure. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord creator is our help. I lift my eyes up to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is what is called a song, a song or a psalm of ascent. And it's believed that a lot of times people would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's on a hill and the temple is on a hill. And so it's possible that they would be walking up the hill, looking and seeing Jerusalem in the distance, seeing the lights of Jerusalem, seeing perhaps the temple and the people of the temple. And they'd be looking up the hill, thinking them to themselves, as the psalmist suggests, where does my help come? And, and it's, it's one of those, those uh, rhetorical questions, right, that, that the... But it's not rhetorical because he answers it in verse 2. He says, my help comes from where? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he's looking up to the mountain. He's looking up to the temple and he's thinking of the presence of God. He's thinking of, of the place, the temple where, where God and his holiness and, and us in our, our brokenness and our, our defilement and our sin, we intersect in this gracious place where God would meet with his people. Where the high priest would go in and, and he would offer sacrifice for his own sin. He'd offer sacrifice for the people of God. And in that moment, uh, there'd be this, this, this touching point of heaven meeting earth. And the psalmist is looking and says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. You know, we are needy people. We need help. You know, it's funny, I, I read this psalm, I've read it a number of times, and it didn't strike me, but... It, we need help. I mean, that's one of the points that the psalmist is trying to make. Uh, we're born helpless and dependent. Uh, 
You know, I've talked about this before, but if you've ever seen a newborn baby, there are a lot of things, but, but uh, proactive and independent are not, not those things. They're not proactive. They're not independent. They're quite dependent. And uh, that continues throughout our life that we are dependent on our caregivers. And even as, de- as adults, we're dependent. We can't do things without the help of, of others, of opportunities, of, of timing. I mean, even on a physical level, we take this for granted. We think, ah, you know, I, I'm the, the captain of my own ship. I'm, I'm a master. But, but we're dependent upon oxygen. We're dependent upon the proper working of our bodily systems, of water to keep us hydrated, on sleep. It's interesting that, that special forces, one of the things that they do to, to test and train is to remove sleep because it, it, it's a physical limitation that we have. When, when I woke up today, I was, I was dependent on the atmosphere around me to provide air. Uh, I was dependent on some, uh, for me it was Frederick County, but for you it's Loudoun, some muni- municipal system to provide electricity or gas or heat. You know, you came, you all look wonderfully showered and warm, and, and it's because you had water. Even if you live off of a well, you were dependent upon that pump to pump water. You were dependent on the craftsmanship of your car manufacturer to get you to church, church relatively safely. And some of you were dependent upon the, 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 the cognition of, of the driver to do so. And all the while, you're depending on your heart and your brain to do what they're supposed to do in order to keep you upright. And as we survey our lives um, and a new year, we're faced with challenges and obstacles and unknowns that, that we cannot control. We need help. And that help comes from the Lord. He says, I lift my eyes up to the hills from where does my help come? And his answer is this, my help comes from the Lord. But not just the Lord, the Lord who made the heavens and earth. There are two things that he points out. His help comes from the Lord. And that word there in, in the original language is Yahweh or Jehovah. Whenever you look in your Bible, or most Bibles do this, they, they use small caps. You see L-O-R-D in capitalization. That's the Bible's way. That's the English translator's way of, of signifying that this is the name Yahweh. And Yahweh was the word, the name that Jesus, or that God gave to Moses when Moses asked, who am I going to say is sending me? And he says, I am who I am is sending you. I am the God who is consistent from beginning to end. I am the God who, who was and is and will be. I am who I was, I am who I am, and I am who I will be. If I was this before, I will be this presently, and I will be this in the future. And that benefits us because in the past, God was a gracious and steadfast, love, loving, and, and patient God. God was a God of, of being slow to anger. And so we can say presently that he is a God who is slow to anger. God was a God who made a covenant with his people. That means he made this agreement, not just a, not just a contract. It was a relational agreement made in blood. God made a, a commitment to, to Noah that he would no longer afflict the world with, with a worldwide uh, issue that would, would destroy humanity. He made a commitment, a covenant with Abraham that he would be uh, a blessing to the, the peoples, the families of the world. He made a promise to, to David that David would have a, a, a descendant who would rule on the throne. God made all of these covenantal promises and we can trust those promises because God cannot lie. He is who he is, 
who he is. Where does my help come from? He comes from Yahweh, the Lord, the one who is. is he, if he was helpful before, he will be helpful today. And if, he, if he's helpful today, he, we can believe that he'll be helpful tomorrow. Not only that, he says that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. God has power and authority over all that he has created. When the Israelites faced the Red Sea on the one side and, and the impending Egyptian army on the other side, who brought them across the dry land? God, the creator of the seas. When the three brothers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were told to either bow down to an, an idol or face certain death in a fiery furnace, who kept them from burning to death? God, the creator of fires. When Lazarus lay dead in the grave for three days and his sisters were weeping and the people around were distraught and distressed, who called him out? Jesus, God, the creator of life. If the Lord, the creator of all, is your help, then you need to fear nothing at all. The Lord is our help ultimately because he has committed himself to us. He goes on and he says this in verses three and four. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And if we keep going, you hear this refrain of the word keep. He keeps me, he keeps me, he keeps me, he guards me. Or not not guards me, your your translation may say guards me. Uh, He is your keeper, he's your guardian. Uh, That that word that got me... That word means that God guards us and he protects us. Uh, in 1 Samuel 17.10, the word keeper is used to describe the, the shepherd keeping his sheep. God cares for our needs. We, we read from Psalm 23, God is our great shepherd and he keeps us. In John 10, it says that Jesus is the good shepherd and he lays, his down, lays down his life for his sheep. In, in Genesis 4.9, we went there at our offering message. We had, there's this moment where Cain and Abel, they've offered their offering. Cain's offering is, 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 is not accepted. Abel's offering is accepted. Cain is angry. He gets angry and jealous of his brother. And what does he do? But he, he murders his brother. It's the first murder in, in the Bible. It's the second generation of humans. We are in a bad place. But it's interesting that, that God asks him where his brother is. It's, again, one of these telling questions. Where's your brother? And Cain says, I, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And there's that word again. Am I the one who's supposed to be responsible for the care and benefit of my brother? And for Cain, the answer was no. But for Jesus, the answer is yes. Jesus is the bro- better brother's keeper. He knows where we are and he guards us and he cares for us. Now, what does is, what is this care look like? It says that he will not let your foot be moved. He'll care for you. He'll keep you. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You know, you and I, we sleep probably less than we'd like to. Maybe you caught up on some sleep this past week. I don't know. Some of you did. Some of you look like you didn't. That's okay. That's okay. Um, We're vulnerable when we sleep. Uh, we're incapable of caring for ourselves when we sleep. And sometimes we're even inca- we're incapable of controlling the things that happen. I mean, maybe if you're married, you're married to like a, uh, a sleep kickboxer. And they love you. They mean well. But it, man, something happens at night where they turn into to Jet Li or, or, or Bruce Lee and, and you're just getting pounced. 
Because they can't control what's happening in their subconscious and they can't control what's happening in their limbs. Or, or maybe you, you've seen someone or been related to someone or you yourself sleepwalk and you wake up and find yourself, your body's doing things that you have little or no control over. We are vulnerable in our sleep, but God is not. He does not sleep. He's ever diligently caring for you. As you were sleeping last night, God was watching over you. He was caring for you. He was aware of what was going on in your life. He was maintaining all the things that were going on. He is caring for you. He goes on and, and he further develops this. It says that the Lord is the keeper who guards us day and night. In verses 5 and 6, the Lord is your keeper. He's your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The psalmist is basically saying God is going to protect you from dangers in the daytime and he's going to protect you from dangers at nighttime. Whatever happens in the daytime, he's your shade. He's there covering you, protecting you, keeping you standing between you and the danger. And at the nighttime, he's doing the same thing. He's, keep, he's standing between you and the danger. This is the way that God acts. He, he doesn't just protect us by moving us outside of things, but he stands in the way of destruction. He stands between us and destruction. Monday morning when anxiety creeps up on you as you drive to work, God is there to care for you. Wednesday afternoon when you're thinking about your troubles in the week, God is there to care for you. Thursday night before bed, when you realize you've got a lot to do and the week is almost over, God is there to care for you. At every part of your day or night, God is keeping you, guarding you, and protecting you. Not only do we know that God is at work presently, we know that he will be at work in the future. It says in verses 7 and 8, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep, out, keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So we went from God being our help to God protecting us and keeping us, to God doing so day and night, to God now. He's going to do it when we're going out, when we're coming in, from this time forth forevermore. There are no gaps in God's care. There's no, there's no moment where we're not covered. You know, uh, I, I've got... We had the privilege of, of receiving a, a, a gift, a car, and, and uh, it is sitting in our garage because uh, we have to work out some details before the insurance coverage can cover it because we don't want a gap in coverage. We don't want a moment where we're driving and we're not covered, we're not cared for. With God, that, that never happens. He says that he'll keep our going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. In, in verse 7, at the beginning, he says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. It says that he protects us from evil. God carries us through when we experience evil. Uh, again, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I face evil, I don't need to be fearful because God is keeping me. In verse 7, in the second part, it says that he'll keep your life. That, that word there, it's your soul. It's, it's, it's the sum of who you are. God will keep you and protect you in all of who you are. And in verse 8, we see that, it, that it care extends into eternity. Now, this is, this is a wonderful psalm, but I'll be honest, I got to the end of it and, and I felt a little concerned because I have lived life. And it says in verse 
Three, he will not let your foot be moved. Has your foot ever been moved? Have, raise your hand if you've tripped. Some of you are lying. Or you're just really, really uh, well-coordinated. That's cool. Um, what about when we do stumble? What about when we do face evil and we experience evil? How do we, how do we harmonize the fact that, that you and I, we live in a broken world. It's not as though God puts us in this hermetically sealed bubble and that he, he makes these promises come true by, by not allowing us to experience harm or pain or suffering. I mean, some of you, you've experienced cancer in your bodies. Some of you, you lost loved ones. Some of you, 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 you struggle with sin and you, you continue to, you, you trust God, but you, you're saying to yourself, God, where's the truth of this? How are you actually keeping me? I've got two answers. One's more theological and the other's relational. In Romans chapter 8, and the reality is this psalmist doesn't answer this question. But the good news is that we have the rest of the Bible to answer it. In Psalm 828, it says this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, that there are moments where you do stumble. There are moments where you do face pain and suffering. There are moments where this year you may have a difficult time and you may be crying out to God, you said you were my help. Where are you? And it's in those moments that God is crafting and creating a good. And the moment itself may not be good. Pain is not good. Sin is not good. Sickness is not good. These are results of the fall. They are they are. They stand in opposition to the nature and character of God. But God stands sovereign over those things and he uses them to bring good about in our life. Whenever we experience evil or trouble, it is sifted through the sovereign hand of our loving God. I'll repeat that. Whenever we experience evil or trouble, it is sifted through the sovereign hand of our loving God. And that doesn't always make you feel good. (laughs) But the other part of this is that we don't have a God who stands far off and who can't relate and who doesn't, who says, I'll I'll, I'll care for you. You can just just trust me. No, he enters into our pain. He enters into our suffering. And if we go on in Romans 8, it says this, he who did not spare his own son but gave gave him up for us, how much how will he not also, with Jesus, gracious, graciously give us all things? You see, Jesus came to show us that God understands our pain. Sometimes when you're in the middle of pain, you don't need an answer of why God is allowing it. You need God to be there in the midst of the pain with you. And in Isaiah 53, the, the prophet tells us that Jesus experienced our pain in the greatest of ways. It says that surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Now all we have gone astray, we've turned our own We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, when you stumble, when you experience pain, 
when you suffer, you can understand and know that God has experienced in Jesus Christ, in the second person of the Trinity, the greatest suffering, pain, rejection that anyone could ever experience. And, and ultimately, he was treated as one helpless so that we might be treated as those who were to be helped. He was not guarded and protected so that we could be guarded and protected. When we stumble or face evil, we know that God has not stopped watching over our souls because Jesus is his proof. Uh, I recently read an article on a website called The Gospel Coalition. It's a good website for the most part about this poet. You've probably heard of him, Henry, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Um, and he has this poem, which you may have heard of in song form, called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Yes, some of you? Yes, no? Okay. Um, and, and the article was about that poem and how it kind of the origin story of that poem. Now, Longfellow's eldest son, uh, he had six kids. The eldest one is a guy named Charlie. He, uh, a, f- a few years before, or sorry, a few months before, had, had enlisted in the Union Army. This was during the Civil War. He just turned 18, went uh, to D.C., and enlisted. Uh, he got sick and, and had to come home, and then he got, he got redeployed and got shot and nearly, nearly died. He almost got paralyzed. He got shot between, I think, the left shoulder and it, and it exited out the right shoulder under the shoulder blade. It nearly grazed his, his spine. And so, and so Henry, the, the dad, goes to Washington, D.C. to pick him up. He meets him there in December. Um, and, and beyond that, two years earlier, or a little bit over two years earlier, Longfellow's, his wife had died. And she, she died from wounds that she sustained from ha- having her dress catch on fire. So it's really horrible experience. She, they, they put the fire out, but she died the next day. And, and Longfellow himself, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of him, he, has, he usually has a, like a big beard because he sustained burn injuries that he kind of covered up with his beard, uh, trying to put the fire out. So here he is, Longfellow. He's, he's returned back to Cambridge, Boston. He's reflecting on his life, and, and he hears in Cambridge bells, and it says, the author writes this, on Friday, December 25th, 1863, Longfellow, as a 57-year-old widowed father of six children, the oldest of which had, who had been nearly paralyzed, as his country fought a war against itself, he wrote a poem seeking to capture the dynamic and the dissonance in his own heart and the world he observed around him that Christmas day. Here, here's the poem. I heard the bells on Christmas day. Their old, familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had had rolled along the the unbroken song of of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing and singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of the continent and and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And in despair, I, I bowed my head. There's no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong, 
and it mocks this song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loudly and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The, the wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. And the peace that you experience from God, that care that he has from you, comes because Jesus is not dead, nor does he sleep. We face 2023, we face a new year, we face new opportunities and new challenges, and you might be looking around, and with Henry Longfellow, say to yourself, there's no peace on earth. There's hate that is strong, there's, there's opposition that's strong, there's suffering that is strong, and it, and it all mocks, it all mocks at God's words. It all mocks at, at what God has promised. But family, I'm here to tell you today that God's word stands true. And it says that God is not dead, nor does he sleep. When your life seems like there's evil all around, that God is not present, remember the words of this psalmist. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My Lord does not slumber, he does not sleep, and he is ever presently watching over me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are with us, that you are watching over us. And Lord, I recognize that, that as we step into a new year, there are some here who, who have bowed their heads and who have felt the effects of darkness. They've felt the effects of brokenness. They've felt the effects of the fallenness of this world in their lives. And they're saying, God, what do I make of this? God, I pray that you would, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would draw close, that you would show yourself true to be their help, to be their keeper. God, I thank you that you are the one that holds our life, that keeps our life. And that we need not fear anything in this world. Jesus, you, you, you say it more, more bluntly when you say, don't fear the person who can take your life, but fear the person who can take your life and send you to hell. And to put it positively, we don't have to fear others because you will protect us and even if we lose our life, we save it because we are in you. God, would you make us powerfully passionate people who trust in your word, who believe in every fiber of our being that you are our help and who live boldly because of it, fearing nothing because we have you. Comfort those who need comforting, God, I pray. Strengthen those who need to be strengthened. And empower us all with faith to believe that you are our help. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to trust God. To stop trying to trust yourself and trying to sovereignly reign and rule over your own life. We can't even determine whether or not our next heartbeat will, will happen. You can trust in the one who does, though. 
If you want to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, turn away from everything that you know to be sin, to be disobedience, and turn to him. I just want you to raise your hand and pray with me. There's nothing special or magical about praying, but it's a response that you get to make. And what an amazing response that you can make at the beginning of the year. Once that's hands up, you can put it back down. That's great. Great. I see those two hands. Just pray that with me. Pray, God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin. And I trust you. I trust you to be my help. I am helpless without you. Save me from my sin. Save me from the consequences of my sin. And give me grace to obey. Thank you for new life in Jesus Christ. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please let us talk to you. Come down after the service. We'd love to connect with you and and help you take some next steps to, to continue to walk out this life of faith. I love you, family. Happy New Year.